0: Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at um, how God loves to teach His children in a very gracious way how to trust Him. You know, um, we're actually going to be looking at three stories into one. Exodus 15, 16, and 17 are going to give us glimpses of a few things. It's going to give us glimpses of ourselves. And... Um, if you've studied the scriptures long enough, you know that there is a huge correlation between Israel, God's people, and us as individuals. You'll also be seeing um, a thick strand of God's faithfulness, of God's provision, that is ultimately not tied to how Israel responds to him. So you'll be seeing that. And I hope that speaks to your life this morning. And you'll also be seeing promises. As a matter of fact, you'll be seeing a huge promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So why don't we get to it? Isaiah, uh, Exodus chapter 15, we're going to be looking at three locations. Mara, manna, and Massa. Merah, Manna, and Massa. And in all of these three sites, in all of these three locations, we're going to be seeing three things, which is the need of the people, how they respond to that need, and then how God responds as well to their need, okay? So why don't we get reading, and we're going to be in verse 22, and we'll kick it off here, all right? Exodus 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Well, we've been looking, as we've been studying the book of of Exodus now for several Sundays, we've been seeing an oppressed people of God, a people of God who were enslaved for hundreds of years, 400 plus. And we've seen God's not only ability to very personally hear their cry for help, but also in a very personable fashion, through Moses, deliver his people out of oppression into some promises. We saw last week how even when they were leaving Egypt and Pharaoh with his army were were coming after them, we saw how God split the Red Sea. And it wasn't six inches of water we're talking about the red sea and on how israel was able to walk through dry land and get to the other side and we saw god's justice being poured out not over his people but over their enemies if you would have kept reading and read into exodus chapter 15 the first part You would have seen, you would have seen the people of God, and maybe you might have heard it, sing a song. You see, after being in oppression for so long and being delivered by a mighty God, what came up out of them was a song. Moses didn't tell them, now we must sing. It was something which, which he gladly let them in. Because they were so thankful for God's work of deliverance. For how he displayed his strength and for how he cared and and guided them into freedom. Well, this morning we we look again in Exodus 15. And interestingly enough, we, we see now as they have begun to walk in the wilderness post-Red Sea, we see that there's a need. And this need is a basic need. It's a need for water. It's a need that you and I need. It's a need that if we would not have, I think we would all begin to get a little grouchy. (laughs) We would all begin to get a little bit uncomfortable, and um, our patients would begin wearing a little thin It's water. Well, it's interesting too that they not only experience the need of water, but as we're going to be digging deeper, we're going to see that they encounter water, but this water is undrinkable. This water is bitter. And so the people response is that of what? We just read here, you would think it would be, well, God just took us through the Red Sea. He's not only the God who delivers us from our oppressor. He's God over creation. He's God over water. Surely he, he can take the, the water of, of this place and turn it into sweet water, water that we can drink. But no, what we see here is that we see a people who begin to what? they begin to complain. They begin to grumble. As a matter of fact, not only do they verbally grumble, but they come to Moses. And uh, they say, "Uh, Moses, what shall we drink? I mean, there's there's no mention of them coming before the Lord and and asking, Lord, could, could you please supply? This word grumble in the Hebrew is loon. And it only appears in chapters 15, 16, and 17. And I think it's because God is trying to tell us something. It's, it's a synonym of, of murmuring, of griping, of groaning, of whining, of carping, and even of self-pitying and playing the role of a victim. You know, before we come too hard down on the Israelites, you know, maybe you see yourself in the Israelites. You know, maybe you've been with us on a Sunday morning and we've sung about our King Jesus, about our Deliverer, and then three days later, you found yourself grumbling in the same way. Or forget three days later, maybe three hours later, you know, you're wondering, Lord, you know, why don't I have this? And, and Lord, you know, these things that you've given me, you know, I, I just don't have enough. Or, or maybe I have too much. And, and where are you at in all this? I can't stand it. But we grumble. And if you don't believe me, maybe you've caught yourself grumbling about grumblers. <laughs> we all grumble. But it's interesting how God responds. God doesn't come down and and do away with them. No, he graciously what? He provides. He provides for his people, and he does it in three ways. He gives them sweet water. He recognizes that there is bitter water. He recognizes that the water is undrinkable. But he not only recognizes the problem, he he does something about it. He makes the water drinkable, and he does it through a piece of wood. Now, this is very symbolic because it shows the people, think about it. If you and I are Israel, and we're standing there, and we're grumbling, and all of a sudden, God, through Moses, gives us clean water. What does that tell us? tell us he cares for us, tells us we're not alone in our wilderness, even in our distrust, we're not alone. And it's also very symbolic of the healing, not only the the providence of God, how God will provide, but how he'll, he'll bring healing to his people. And I love the way he says it here, did you catch it? It was in verse 26. As he begins to, to, to speak through Moses, he says two things. He reminds his people as he's given them the statute, this rule, that he is their God. And that he will bring about healing. He's the one that's going to make things right. He's the one that's going to take the grumpiness, the bitterness, the grumbling and make it sweet for his people. He will take their lack of trust and their old ways and will entice them and woe them to himself into a sweet stream. God here is teaching Israel how to trust him. God here is teaching Israel how to trust him. He's reminding them through this promise, I am the Lord your God. Even as I see your grumbling, I'm going to give you this statute, I am your healer. And maybe that's what some of you need to hear this morning. I know that as we've gone through this week, we've we've had a death of our very own. Nyurka is someone that you we loved dearly. Maybe you've, you are going through some personal wilderness, through, through, through some health issues. And you're wondering, Lord, are you really there? I am having a hard time trusting you. And maybe your distrust has turned into complaining. You know, whatever it is, God is reminding you. He's your God. He's your healer. And not only is he your God and healer, but he wants you to listen to his voice. As a father calls to a son, as a father calls to a daughter, we see this in Proverbs. I think of Proverbs chapter 2, how, how, how God says, we see it here. If you would just listen and do Pay attention to my words and keep. Listen, you can trust me. You can trust me. You don't have to grumble. I love the fact that he then provides some restoration and rest. He takes him to 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. You know, God is a gracious God and he will heal his people. But let's continue reading, because things do progress. As he sets out this template, as he sets out this legend, this this key of how he works, we see the story of manna, and this is the second story. Verse 1, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Elim. In Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had been departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, "Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness." to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, let's pause there. Listen, (laughs) if you and I were Moses, (laughs) we'd just slap him silly. (laughs) I mean, really, you know, God just provided clean water. He just reminded you that he's your healer, that he's your God. And now you're not only grumbling, but you're accusing God? God? Of not watching over you, you're accusing God of 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 of, of this plan going astray. And that not only are you accusing him, but you're saying, you know what? We had golden corral in Egypt. We loved it. You know, it's interesting that when we grumble, very few things in our grumbling are objective. They're subjective. There's very little things, very little truth to to base our grumbling on. Israel here saying, listen, we had it. Man, we were getting our fill. And apparently, this is one of the things that we see can grumbling do? Grumbling is a fruit of this trust, but this group, this 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 fruit, it it, it blossoms in, in other ways. it it blossoms in an accusation. God, what are you doing? Do you really care for me? And we may say God is sovereign. God loves me. I trust you, God. But functionally, how we live our lives, again, let's not come down too hard on the Israelites. Man, we can live as functional atheists. We can say we believe God and our actions portray something totally different with how we, 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 we have our emotions uh, swayed and, and our thoughts consumed by worry and anxiety and, 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 and things seemingly falling apart. Not only do we accuse God, but we see here that there's a certain speculation Of reliving of the past. Did you know that that's what this trust turned into grumbling does to us? I mean, that's how, that's how deceiving sin is. It makes us actually believe that our times of pain and of hardship were better than how God is blessing us now. We actually begin to think thoughts of, you know what? Yeah, you know, I remember when I used to get wasted, but you know what? I remembered being able to forget my troubles and we tend to camp out there. (laughs) Or we, we, we say, you know, we, we think of an abusive relationship and we say, man, you know what? That was, that was hard, but at least I didn't feel alone and we camp out. We camp out in our Egypt. So, how does God respond? (laughs) After his people accuse him, after his people say, listen, listen, you should have left us out in Egypt. No, you would have preferred to have died over there. (laughs) He graciously provides for them. God graciously provides. And he provides in two ways. He provides by meeting their need of hunger. They're hungry. They're doubting. And he provides for them bread from heaven. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 4, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, So not only is he going to provide bread, but he's going to give some very specific directions. Why? He's not only wanting to meet their needs, but remember, there's a deeper need. He's creating trust in his people. He wants them to trust him. And so he says, they shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. The evening quail, verse 13. It's interesting that God not only provides them bread, but he provides them a little bit of meat. The evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people living with Israel saw it, they, they, saw, they, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. Listen, you really thought you had your fill? (laughs) I'm going to fill you. I'm going to fill you with some bread, and it's going to be some sweet bread. You shall each take an omer, which would have been about roughly two liters, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God provides them here with bread. You're hungry. I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to feed you in a miraculous way. I'm going to send bread. Just when you think, you know, how, where can we shop for food? (laughs) I got you. (laughs) I'm your jewel. (laughs) I'm your stub grub or whatever. (laughs) And I'm going to bring it to the point where you're going to have your fill. But it's not about you. You need to only gather a day's portion. And why only a day's portion, Lord? Because I want you to trust in me. I want you to trust that I will provide for you in a faithful manner. Even though you are unfaithful with your trust to me, I will be faithful to you. And I will be faithful to you for the next 40 years every single day. I will feed you. I will feed your wife. I will feed your husband. I will feed your children. And you will not grow hungry. And I'll throw in there a little bit of quail. (laughs) God was teaching his people to trust him and to trust him on a daily basis. See, faith is what will make obedience possible. God just didn't want obedience to a law. God wanted to plant within them faith. So that they could be obedient to him. And so that he could receive his glory. But he just doesn't give them something to eat. He says, I'm gonna show you too how to rest. And he gives them the Sabbath. He introduces to them this concept of not just, listen, I'm going to feed you, but I will be your rest as you trust in me, not as you work and go berserk and worry about your day tomorrow and your bank. No, no, no. I am going to get you. And I will settle you. And so on verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. So it's only on the sixth day. And when all the Israelites of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake, bake what? Bake the bread. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over by lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The mandate was well, simple. Every single day, gather enough for that day. But on the sixth day, gather for the sixth and the seventh. Gather for two days. Why would God do this? You guessed it. He's teaching his people how to trust in him. He's teaching his people, it is not your work that's going to save you. It's going to be my provision and my work. And I want you to just rest. I want you to just rest. You will not trust in your own strength. You will not trust in your circumstances. You will not even trust in your perception of the circumstances. For I am the Lord your God, and I will give you rest. You know, I think as an application for us, one of the ways that we demonstrate our trust in God is in our ability to rest. Look, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. This this week, <laughs> don't know what it's like. Listen, Hody, you need to rest. As a matter of fact, Bill and I were praying yesterday, right before the service. We were, we were just feeling spent. And um, and man, we're just praying, Lord, just. Have have your spirit have your way with us, in us. Give us the ability to minister, but let it be you who's exalted. Let it be you who offers rest. Let it be you who who reveals himself as the good shepherd. And um, I'll tell you this. Last night, as we were here, or last afternoon, yesterday, to me, it was a restful time. I felt like we rested. As a matter of fact, I saw it in in, in both of us. As we saw what God did, how the gospel was proclaimed, how how we spoke of Jesus, and, 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 and how he comforts those who are grieving, and because he took up our grief on him, we were not only able to hear the gospel, but but share the gospel through touch and prayer and a spoken word. See, it's when we rest in God and his care and his guiding of us that we are able to find a rest for our souls. Listen, that's what we're really after. That's what we're really after. At the end of the day, you really don't want a day off. We don't. Yes, it's nice to get a day off, get to do whatever you want. You may have a honey-do list (laughs) or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, what we really want is rest for our souls. And only God offers that. And he offers it to his people as a means of providing healing for them. You know that means that the opposite is true that when we don't rest, when we don't rest, we're basically saying, Lord we don't, we don't trust you. We don't trust you. We believe in you but we don't trust you." You know a lack of rest normally translates into trying to secure our own future. A lack of trust and of rest normally translates into us creating our own identity, into being validated by people as if people had enough power to validate whether I'm good. God was teaching his people to find their security for their future in him. God was teaching his people to find their identity in who he is and who who he says they are to him. God was teaching his people validation, not from what they did, but of what he would do for them. So how is that applied? Listen, your studies don't validate you. Your studies don't give you A's and the scores and the university or whatever it is. Doesn't make you right. Doesn't give you identity. Your resources, what we have, they're blessings from the Lord, but these do not define you. You. They don't. As a matter of fact, we can easily lose them. And if we do, then how are we defined if we're defined being defined by our resources? It could be the social media. I mean, man, we work arduously sometimes just making sure that we appear right. The images on Facebook, they all gotta be happy go lucky. But we can rest we can all rest that our identity is not found in what people think of us god wants us to find our identity as his children for his children are not orphans so how do things progress let's finish up with the story of Mesa. and this is the third story Exodus chapter 13, uh, 17, verses 1 through 7. Let's read it together. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and encamped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, Lord, here we go again. <laughs> Therefore the people... Gave praise. Therefore, the people prayed. What did they do? What did your versions say? Go ahead. They quarreled. Now, it wasn't just now a grumbling. It wasn't just, hey, you know, where is water, God? No, now they're quarreling. And it says here, They were quarreling with Moses. And look what they say. Give us water to drink. Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this, people? It's like, listen, I just want to smack them. (laughs) They're almost ready to stone me. The need is very basic again. It's water, it's thirst. But notice how they're grumbling and their distrust of God has progressed. It's gone now from just a distrust turned into grumbling and a grumbling accusing God of not leading well and of having evil plans. But now it's turned into something severely even more toxic. The grumbling has led to demanding God's provision. Where is our water? Give us water to drink. And their grumbling has led also to questioning God's protection. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And their grumbling not only led them to demand God's provision, to question God's protection, But to doubt God's presence. Because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Verse 7. This is what distrust turned into a little bit of grumbling can turn into. All of it is a sin. But now this is a big, hairy sin. So much that it's starting to, to nudge away at Moses. And Moses gives a little bit of grumbling before the Lord. Like, come on, Lord. <laughs> it's like, you know, what, am, you know, what am I supposed to do with these folks? What's happened here is that their grumbling has hardened their hearts. And instead of God testing Israel, Israel now is testing Israel god and they're standing in judgment over him is he really a generous god is he really good does he really love us is he really with us or not because we ain't having our needs met Hmm. let me just pause here and take a step back how would you respond if you were god Um, You know, I think, I yeah, we would just go postal, wouldn't we? (laughs) I mean, these are my children. And here they're they're demanding my provision. They're questioning my protection. And they're doubting my very presence and who I am to them. Come on. Well, let's see how God responds. Is the Lord patient with them? And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, some representatives, and taking your hand, the staff, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Oreb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let me unpack it for you. Because this is deeply, deeply symbolic. Water comes from where? It comes from a rock. You know, this rock is significant. Because this rock is going to give us a picture of how God, very precisely, when I bring judgment on his people, will bring judgment on himself as Israel has put God on trial through their grumbling the courtroom has been set the tables have been turned God is no longer testing the Israelites the Israelites now are testing God will he snap calls for the representatives, the elders. And the representatives of guilt, of Israel's sin, are found. And condemned Israel stands on one side, verse 5. And in verse 6, we see God telling Moses, Moses, I'm going to be on the other side. I'm going to be by Mount Horeb. And in the middle, Moses, you're going to stand. And Moses, you're going to stand as judge. You're going to stand as judge with your staff. That staff, that very staff which brought judgment on Egypt. My judgment. So what does God ask Moses to do? God asks Moses, To strike not Israel, but to strike the rock. And Moses brings down the rod of judgment on God. And as a result, blessings flow, we see here, to God's people. Meeting their need, meeting their thirst, and ever pursuing God offers a way to satisfy and fill their need. You know, Jesus is that rock. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, Paul tells us that for they, who's they, Israel, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. See, what happened at Mesa was a clear picture of what happened somewhere else. What happened at the cross. A place where you and I, in our grumbling, in our state of condemnation and guilt, in need of judgment, of God's perfect judgment and wrath to be poured on us, Jesus stands in the way and absorbs that and takes that punishment on our behalf. He becomes our substitute. And he absorbs the wrath of God, thereby bringing forgiveness, bringing now hope and and life and righteousness, a right standing, for those who would place their faith on him, not in their own working. Jesus is the rock that was struck for our salvation. And because he was struck for us, we in turn can now enjoy the streams of his blessings. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow what? Will flow rivers of living Water. Do you long to have your thirst satisfied here this morning? Jesus is the one that provides the living water. Jesus is the one who being struck now is able to provide not only a satisfaction of your needs, of that rest that you long in your soul, but the ability To also trust God. It is Christ Jesus who can ultimately meet your needs and my needs. The question is though, will you let him do that? Will you let Jesus meet your needs? He is the one who passed the test that Israel failed in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, and we see how he was the true and better Israel as he went through the desert. He went on to pass every test, fulfilling God's law perfectly. And unlike Israel and unlike you and I, Jesus did not yield to temptation and did not grumble in his obedience. He too is the bread of heaven, not only the rock, not only the, the one who passes the test, He's the bread. He's the literal bread coming from heaven, making His presence among us. And we beheld in His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who, who is faithful and true. Listen, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And he not only saw our need, he met it at the cross. And he fulfilled it when he resurrected. He's the one that could offer eternal life as the bread of heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever, You are here this morning wondering, but I'm not religious enough. He says, whoever. Oh, but you don't understand my past, God. You know, you don't understand the things that got hidden in my closet. Whoever. Oh, but you don't understand how angry I am at God. You don't understand the things that I have against God. You don't understand the doubts and the distrust I have against God. Jesus says, "Who." Whoever, whoever comes to me, whoever comes shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so he promises, whoever comes to him, And believes in him. He will meet your need. Do you believe that? Church, do we believe that? If you've never heard this story before, can you believe it? Can you embrace Jesus as your ultimate fulfiller of need? Let's pray. God, we rest in you. We rest in your work, Jesus. And we lay all of our burdens on you, knowing that you not only know our needs, but that you, you carry our needs well. Father, blessed be your name. Jesus, be glorified in our lives. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for continuing that work within us and around us.